John Funderburg, and this is a J Funds One podcast. We are going to be discussing The Walking Dead, True Detective, and Shameless. So, a kind of a great TV Sunday night. So, The Walking Dead starts off with actually a flashback, and the flashback is Lydia's family, her background. Now, The Walking Dead is doing a really good job, kind of the way that they did with Morgan. And I think that the writing is really good. The comments that I've heard throughout the Twitter and so forth have been saying that this writing is excellent. And a lot of people are even wishing that Carl and Rick was back to take advantage of this great writing that we have this season. So The Walking Dead has managed to make us actually feel something for Lydia in a much better way than they ever did on Fear the Walking Dead with Charlie. Now, I didn't know I was going to make this distinction, but as I am going about thinking about it, it has to be there in that Charlie and Lydia are two teenage girls who had a questionable upbringing or rough times with someone else and The Walking Dead Prime did a great job in making us feel for Lydia by a ton of backstory and the way they did the backstory. It's like they were telling a story from Lydia's perspective as she as it was being told to by her mom but as she was going through people talking with her that actually cared about her, and we'll talk about that later because that, that storyline kind of got on my nerves a little bit. Not That storyline would have been great if it was before the time of The Walking Dead. But now that you're in The Walking Dead, you can't be so naive. And this kid was so naive in talking with Lydia. But we'll get to that later. But Lydia is feeling the love and is kind of going through a quasi-therapy session with uh, Ed and Daryl. And what is totally amazing is that she is telling this story and she is realizing what a monster her mom actually is. And she is becoming or feeling safe with this group the same way that Charlie felt safe with the other group. Now, I'm not going to talk bad about Charlie because, honestly, after the whole season's over, I realized that it's not her fault that the writers didn't go back in time or give us enough background to make us feel connected to her as well as the writers did in Walking Dead Prime. So, you have the scene starting out with Lydia talking with Ed and seeing her dad being killed, but you just don't know how that happened. Then The Walking Dead comes on with this awesome intro that we have, and we see the the next scene is back with Henry and Lydia talking, and Henry and Lydia, and then they flash back to the mom, who has hair at this moment. But then the story goes 
that their dad is saying that I'm going to cut this beard off because I've always wanted to, but that was that wasn't actually the dad. That ended up being the mom, that was the aggressor, and the dad was the one that was showing empathy, and the dad was the one that was playing chess with her, and the dad was the one that was protecting her. So Henry becomes so connected to her that he begins to tell her about another community called the kingdom. That's when Daryl pulls Henry out. That's when we all find out that Henry wasn't in on this interrogation technique. Daryl was basically using Henry's naivety, extract information from Lydia by Henry being so, I guess, um, by guess being real because he wasn't coached at it. Uh, Lydia felt connected to him. It was a great technique, by the way, because Tara and Daryl were listening in on it. Now, this whole Walking Dead show has really elevated the way Tara and Daryl are handling things. They are no longer minor characters or secondary characters. Daryl really was always a primary character, but he is now moving in the Rick position, and Tara is moving in the Maggie position. And so it's interesting seeing that. And I'm, I'm beginning to like Tara a lot more, to be honest with you. So the scene comes back after commercials with Daryl still interrogating Lydia and trying to find out more of the story. They do more of the flashback. We see that Lydia's mom in the flashback basically, basically killed the first guy because he was going to get them killed. She killed the first guy with her bare hands. And as Daryl was trying to give Lydia something to drink, she then attacks Daryl trying to, I don't know what trying to do. And then Daryl sees that she's been whipped by a, or abused by a switch that you get from a birch tree. So Daryl understands that. Daryl recognizes that. Daryl points that out. Then we have my new favorite character, Magna. I love her character. If I was in The Walking Dead, I would be hanging out with Magna. Magna is so legit. So Magna is discussing with her crew, should they go out to find Luke after Tara told them to come back here and because they don't know how many people are out there. They want to be more uh, tactical in how they go after their people. So Yukimo, Yukimo and I think Connie and her sister, they're all wanting to go out there. Magma's like, no, we shouldn't do it because we actually got in trouble the last time at Alexandria. I don't want to mess I don't want to mess this opportunity up, but they're more like let's do it, especially Connie. And now we find out later that Connie is doing that because Luke was the one that found her when she was lost one time and have a personal connection. This whole scene really bothered me because honestly, I don't care about your personal connection when you want to get other people possibly hurt or even killed. Because of your wanting to rescue someone when one is almost impossible. But they make, anyway, the stupid plans to go out at night to go after Luke. 
and to me they're they're still operating as a small unit when they're part of something bigger now when you're part of something bigger you're going to have bigger responsibility and you're going to come across bigger adversaries these adversaries are serious you just can't just go out in your mini group with your slingshots and bow and arrow and come across a major a major threat and think you're going to neutralize that threat just because you just because you love your friend so but be it as it may they went out there and they realized this is a bad idea so they turned around turned back but Connie and her sister wanted to stay out there so Yukimo and Magna Magna Yukimo and Magna came home and we found out the whole time that Tara knew what they were going to do and actually sent people to guard them as they were going to make sure that they were okay. Meanwhile, Daryl is back in the prison. He is bonding with Lydia. And Daryl was beat up too by his dad and he sees a broken soul and connects. Now I tell you what, connect <coughs> with Daryl on that level he is your pit bull for life. He's going to give his life for you. And Lydia has tapped into that. And I think that there is, I think that this introduced another dynamic that is going to be interesting to follow out. And that Daryl is not going to let Lydia go. And there's going to be a war. How is that going to play out when Luke and Alden are hostages? How is that going to play out with the uh, with the scary, very scary uh, Whisperers. Now the Whisperers are one scary group, but they don't have a home. So it would seem as though they would be at a disadvantage if you have a strong military type maneuver that, that, that Rick did, similar to what Rick did against the Saviors. Because they don't have Walls, or because they don't have cover, if they could just somehow surround them with enough firepower, they could really wipe them down. It would seem that way, but who knows? So anyway, back to back back to where we are. So Terra and Magma, as they come back, Terra is on the wall. Magma, Magna, Magna. I'm going to say it correctly. Magna says, "I'll talk with her." Terra says, "I understand you had to go out." Next time you disagree with me, talk to me. Because sometimes I may be right or maybe wrong. I don't know. But you can help me with this. So I was good of Tara. That was great leadership. Tara's also looking pretty cute. That's another side story. But that being said, um, at that point, you see the whispers come. And they come without their mask. And believe me, they look like one tough bunch leather skinned tough ready to just kill 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 as i was watching this i was thinking one thing one thing you need negan to deal with a group like this because you need someone with a personality as big as alpha and some and let's talk about alpha some people were saying comparing her to madison i don't think that's a fair comparison Madison would never beat her kids. Madison would never do the other things that Alpha does if you read the comic books. 
If you're reading comic books, I'm going to go to a spoiler alert. So fast forward this if you don't want to hear it. And one, two, three, spoiler. In the comic books, Magna and her group, the, the Whisperers, they have a policy of raping their women, including Alpha's daughter. She is just given to different men each night. They live like beasts and they want to emphasize their beast style lives. And they don't have any kind of privacy or any kind of social uh, social grace. If you want to rape someone's daughter, you let them. And if you don't like it, then you show signs of weakness. They are a, in the comic books, they are a vicious bunch. But in the comic books, they are also seems to be a little more smarter than what they are on TV. Like in the comic books, they don't just appear in the gate in front of everybody. They will try to integrate into your community because you don't know what they look like and learn who is who, what is what. And then they do a coordinated plan guerrilla attack and just snatch people up that are more vulnerable. <clears throat> so I have to say that the whispers in the comic books are much more vicious, but the TV show does an excellent job at presenting them according to the other TV villains as being that much more a threat to their survival. So that's my wrap up of The Walking Dead. That's the end of the spoiler section. I look forward to next week. I look forward to seeing how this Daryl thing, more than more than anything else, I look forward to seeing how this Daryl thing kind of plays off when they have to, when he doesn't want to give Lydia back and Aiden or Aiden and Luke are still out there and they're taken prisoner and how that whole thing falls out. So now on to True Detective. I'm only going to talk about True Detective. I'm not going to go through each scene because it's it's a very complicated show. And I'm just going to just do an overall kind of um, summary of it, what I thought about it. And then I'm going to talk about Shameless, which I, I think tonight, Shameless was probably the best show tonight. So True Detective, they moved the ball a little further. I think next week is the season finale. Uh, True Detective... They they do a good job of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between the present, the time the crime was committed in, in 1990. We saw that they came closer to finding out who did it. It was the someone that was in, in the powerful family, uh, has something to do with taking the girl, but we don't know why. Basically, the story evolved around them. Uh, snatching up um, the primary antagonist of the show, the police officer James, I think Harden, I think that's his name. Um, I'm going to have to look it up. I'm not very good with names. Talk, 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 talk too much TV today. But the primary cop on the show, he was the same cop who took the fingerprints. If you, if you remember, the fingerprints were removed from the evidence room. He's also the same cop that placed the bag inside the house as evidence for someone else to be framed. 
And then he was also the cop that interviewed other people to make sure that they weren't on to the actual people that did it. He was also the person, after resigning from the police force, that got a nice job working for that same company. And he was the one that gave Lucy, which is the mother of the children, a hot shot, meaning that she died from an overdose. And he was basically the one that killed Tom Purcell, the father. But when they went to question him, things got out of hand. He was handcuffed and he said that he couldn't breathe. The moment that they let him out of the handcuffs, he tried to attack the, he tried to attack them. Then they had to shoot him to kill him. Then they buried him. And from that moment, they buried him. The next day, he gets a call from Hoyt himself. And Hoyt says, I know what you did. Kind of like, what's that movie, that scary movie, from a well, scary, funny movie? I know what you did last summer. He gets one of those calls. I know what you did. We need to talk. And either I can talk now or I'm coming inside your house and talk. And then he begins to ask him about his family. So our our hero detective goes into the car and that's that that's how that's how the show ends and it basically revolves around so we found we find out the big secret that him and Conrad had between each other that they did and the big secret that his wife haunts him about that they actually killed someone and covered it up <coughs> they didn't mean to but they did and then we also find out that someone big and powerful is wrapping up the entire investigation. And they've done it each time and they've killed off everyone who had even begun to get close to finding out the truth. <coughs> so next week, I think is the last week. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure. I think it's the finale. We'll find out the entire story that happened and we'll find out um, how this all plays out because the memory of his memory is just not there and you never know if what he's saying is true what he's saying isn't but these facts are starting are starting to line up and we do see that we do see that he is in fact um, he in fact has pinpointed the group of people behind this kidnapping slash murder but what he doesn't have is the reason why it's been suggested that it was pedophiles a pedophile ring the interviewer has been suggesting that that these dolls come with a symbol and the symbol is indicative of a pedophile ring we don't know. A lot of people are hypothesizing that it was someone that just wanted to help them uh, get away from an abusive situation. The show itself suggested that one of the parents had sold the children for money, and which would probably be the mom for money, and that this family picks on runaways of children from broken households to prey upon. So we have all these nefarious suggestions, and it should come to a to a to a close next week. 
We still don't know how his wife passed away. And we still don't know her secret. She has a dark secret. She always, today she suggested twice that she's not a good mom or she's not a mom. And because he was washing dishes, he was like, well, she says, she says something like, I hope that you weren't looking for a mother. And something else about being a mom. Then she left her two kids in the car, even though she was upset but she couldn't find them. But she left them out there to do this interview with this guy in a dark parking lot, which was pretty har a, a harrowing thing to do. So, I still want to know what her, uh, what her deal is. And I want to know her background. And I want to understand her character and what she's really doing. I suspect that she was really following the story all along and using him as a as a way of doing that. Um, that's why she married him to, to, to help write her that's why she married him to help write her book. So that's where we are with True Detective. And finally we're going to end with Shameless. Shameless to me was by far the best show of the night. Even though I did like Walking Dead. Shameless has a way of taking extreme situations, but writing it so well that you care, uh, that you actually care about the characters. And you care about, it's like they, they have a way of emotionally tugging at you. And they go to, they go to such extremes that you think it gets silly, but it never ever gets silly. It never ever gets beyond the realm of of being foolish. It's it's like they are consistently great at at putting themselves in situations where it's it's, it's hard to explain. But if I go into a little bit in this podcast, you understand why. So you have Frank, who is to me is a ninja warrior slash he could he, he could win any war if you put him inside. He's just a survivor. And he's trying to win a hobo contest for an alcoholic drink. That if you could be the best bum, you can you can earn fifty thousand dollars. His girlfriend is a crazy psychiatrist who got pregnant by Frank's son's sperm. And is, has six babies. And she wants to keep all six of them. Even though the doctor says she won't be able to carry them. Everyone is telling her that Frank is not going to be there for her when she has these children. And when she has these children. Well, okay, yeah, we had these children. So, so she's just like, I have to make this test to see if Frank is, is to, to, to see if Frank is going to be there. And... So she so, so she goes to Frank just as just as Frank was about to win this whole thing. She goes to him and says, "I'm having a miscarriage. I need you to come and take care of me." And Frank just says, "I will be right back. I have to win this thing because he's been trying to win it for a couple of days now." And she realized at that moment that he is not going to be there for her. And so she leaves. As she is leaving, Frank comes home. Says, "Hey, where are you going?" Her boyfriend says, "Her boyfriend says we're leaving you, Frank, because you're an alcoholic, 
and you'll always love alcohol more than you do her or her kids. So I need you to sign away your parental rights. And Frank says, well, usually when I give something away, there's a monetary exchange. <laughs> so he's signing away his rights. She says, he says, how about 5,000? Frank said, let's do it for 10 and you have no problems out of me. So Frank signed away his rights to his children for $10,000, like no thought process whatsoever. And you might say, why is that entertaining? Because he is consistent. It's amazing how, how, how the depth of his alcoholism is, is that he's able to basically manage his life but do it in a way that he's thinking about himself first in all situations. It's hard to explain, but seeing someone that radical that radicalized in themselves is entertainment in itself. If that means anything. Like seeing someone who's so into themselves but doesn't have malice or hatred. Usually people that much into themselves are trying to abuse someone else or trying to uh, be angry or curse other people out. Frank has none of that. He has no malice in his heart. He is not trying to hurt you or discourage you or be against you. He is just about the church of Frank Gallagher. And he does it with kindness and love. And that compassion fools you. But when you break it all down, it's still about him. It is the most amazing thing I have I, I one of the most amazing things I've seen is how, how do you write a character in that they are so selfish but they have the ability to not have malice or anger so um, cut so Frank's wife Okay, so Frank's wife is named Dr. Ingrid Jones. That's it. I was trying to find the name of her. Uh, then we go to uh, Fiona. Fiona has been downshifting like for the past all season now. She used to live on her own. She had property. She sold it. She moved back home. She started drinking. She lost her job. And she's just basically just drinking, partying, not doing very well. Flip on the mean side has a new girlfriend. He's trying, and then this other girl comes back into his life. There's not not his girlfriend. There's a young girl, who, who who he was taking care of. The mom is like a prostitute, dumped her, so she has nowhere to go. And All of a sudden, everything she touches just turns to crap. And what happened was she basically went to visit Flip trying to excuse herself from being drunk. Flip had a visit from the child child social services and because she was sleeping and she was drunk, she let the guy in. Flip was upset. Flip basically said, You have to you have to get out the house tonight. A dramatic turn in the show because Fiona has been the bedrock and the stone for that family for the first since Shameless has been on. And now since she is she is really degrading in a rapid pace and really affecting everyone around her. That was a very high emotional event. And that was also probably the best scene I've seen tonight when Flip had to realize that she is just really going to tear, take everybody down. Um, this 
came about because she, when Jason was working at Flip's place, when Flip got him the job, she took a bottle of vodka there and he saw that and she began to drink and, and, and he asked her for some and he really fell off the wagon after being sober for 100 days. After being sober for 100 days, he then called his heroin connect and got shot up and realized he just completely fell off. And when he called Flip, he was like, your sister brought the alcohol over. She didn't know, but I was just so tempted. And Flip was right to be mad at her because even though Fiona didn't know that he was um, on rehab, Flip was like, you just don't care either way. You don't care who you're destroying in your alcoholic path. And we see that alcoholism is the effect that it has on people and the effect that it has on, on people around those people and how it really kind of destroys families from the inside out. And it was a heavy episode on the negative effects and very real consequences of drinking without thinking. And so I think Shameless took the Blue Ribbon Award for the best show tonight because of the way they were able to expel, uh, expound on the effects of drug addiction in a very funny but emotional way. So that's my wrap up for tonight. I will have a lot more of these on the J Funds One podcast. Thank you and have a great day.